0: the numbers basketball. Welcome back to another episode. I'm your host Jacob Birkinshaw. This week we're going to be kicking off the playoffs, looking at championship indicators for all the best teams in the league. Let's get into it. So what do we mean by championship indicators? Well what I've done is I've taken every NBA champion. Since nineteen eighty, since Magic's rookie season, all forty one of them, I put all the information I have for them, kind of on in one sheet. I've looked at that. I've looked at the best teams in the league this year. I've gone with you know, I think the eight best teams. Those are in no order: Denver, Utah, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Phoenix, uh, both L.A. teams, and the Brooklyn Nets. I think I think everyone but the most homerish fans that a word homerish good start to the pod. the most homerish fan would agree that one of those eight teams will be the team winning it i mean the only like percent chance i think there is is probably like luca suddenly shoots 45% from 3 for like 2 months and you know, Dorian Finney-Smith, Tim Hardaway Jr., Chris Stapps realises he's an all-star again, something like that. Everything comes together for Dallas. They go on a run and win the title. That's like a 0.001% chance, but that's, I think, the only possibility outside of these eight teams that could win the title. So I've looked at their data for this season. I have compared it to like I said, historical championship data going back to 1980, what are the indicators for those teams? Like what's the floor for a championship offense using the teams that actually won the title? What's the floor for a championship defense? You know, win-loss records, all that type of stuff. How do those teams change in the playoffs? And take that, put that kind of data on top of the teams from this year and see who looks most likely like they can repeat what you know the average past champion has done, what most champions tend to do, that kind of thing. So first, let's have a look at what is the average championship team for the past 40 years. Well, they're really fucking good. Unsurprisingly, Um, if we adjust all these seasons, so even like the 99 season, the 2012 season last year and this year, For 82 games, so we just take their um, win-loss percentage record, adjust it over an 82-game season. What is their 82-game pace? The average championship team wins 61 games in a given year, and their average plus-minus per 100 is about 7.2, plus 7.2, which is extraordinary. Just to give you an idea, only one team this year has a per 100 net rating plus 7.2. And that is obviously the Utah Jazz. No other team this year has a net rating that good. And I think that's going to be kind of common. I think that whoever wins the title this year, if it's not Utah, they're going to be on the lower end of championship teams in the last 40 years. And I don't think that's totally them not being as good as a lot of other champions. I think it's just because using this methodology, using you know net rating, using plus minus uh, adjusted against opposition, a lot of these teams this year, last year, there's so much uncertainty. There's all the protocols this year. There's everything that happened last year where basically all these teams had an off-season. They came back and most of them were different teams. So we had these kind of two segmented parts of a season and just kind of stuck their data together and called it one season and in the end actually using kind of a final plus minus method the um, the 2020 Lakers work out as the 35th best champion out of the last 41. Now I don't know about you I don't think the LA Lakers of 2020 were the 35th best champion in the last 40 years. Like maybe you think they're not, you know, a top 20 champion. That's fine. i totally on board with that. I don't think they're that low. I think there are at least 10 champions in the last 40 years who were worse than this Lakers team. But this is just looking at the plus-minus data. It's just trying to figure out, based on that, what can we expect from a championship team? And this year is, like I like with last year, it's probably going to be the least indicative of any like this regular season data set that we have probably means the least of any data set maybe last year's is close second or number 1 but apart from that there is no season maybe 1999 maybe but even then we weren't having all these you know protocols all these players in and out of the lineup that's the real problem here that even getting kind of data, healthy data for team versus team, there's so little of it that, and it's such a small sample size because of that, that we can't, I don't think, prize out a lot of real high level useful information from it for this year. So we're just going to be looking at it in more broad strokes. What does this mean? You know, generally speaking, this means it doesn't look like a championship team there are all these extra factors that we should really be considering when we do it that kind of thing so first let's have a look number one though does defense or offense win championships the answer is both neither and both um if we just look like i said the average team is a little over plus seven differential per 100 possessions the average champion And it splits almost exactly evenly in offense and defense. It's about plus three and a half defense, plus three and a half offense against league average. It's generally speaking, it splits pretty, pretty evenly. And then you get to the playoffs and they both tend to increase. Interestingly, though, where the average regular season defense is about three and a half points better than league average. Once they get to the playoffs, that goes up to four and a half better with offense it goes from about three and a half in the regular season to about six and a half in the playoffs so I think what that's telling us is not necessarily that offense is more valuable than defense but maybe it is maybe it's trying to tell us offense is more valuable than defense but to me what that more indicates is like Because this is measuring it against your opposition. So in the regular season, how many points better are you than the average team offensively? So a team, like I say, per 100 possessions scores three and a half points more than the average team would. That's a very high level. That's, you know, on average, a championship level. Some are as high as plus five, plus six, plus seven. But plus three and a half is a good average level for a championship level team. Now, once they get into the playoffs, they are going up against better defences. So we're measuring it against the defences they're facing. That means that if like a team, say the league average offensive rating is 110 and the team average is 115, that is plus five. They're going to be a plus five offense in the regular season. Then they get into the playoffs and maybe they go up against a team with a defensive rating of 105. That's, you know, a very good defense um, for that season. That would be a defense that's five points better than league average. If that team can keep their offensive rating at 115, they suddenly become a plus 10 team because they're 10 points better than you would expect against the defense they're facing. But what's really happening here is this: the offense is robust, I keep coming back to this term, every single pod, this offense that it doesn't necessarily get objectively better, but even against tougher and tougher defenses, it doesn't get worse or it doesn't get much worse. Like it keeps some level of the kind of the average offense it had in the regular season. It keeps enough of that differential in the playoffs that it just boosts it up. It goes from, you know, plus three and a half to plus six and a half in the playoffs. That's what I think is happening here. More that um, these offenses that win championships, they're the kind of offenses that um, are not easy to scheme against, that are very difficult. Even if you have an elite defensive team, this offense will still get his, his, its personifying teams now. God what's going on and the same for defense to a slightly lesser extent that it's able to drag these offenses down to its level rather than you know necessarily playing better like if it suddenly goes from like a 105 defensive rating in the regular season and drops down to like a 104 103 in the playoffs that's probably not what's happening what's probably happening is it's going up against much better offenses in the playoffs than it goes up against in the regular season and it's not um rising in line with that offense like it's staying like say you know the average is 110 it's a 105 and then it goes up against the 115 in the playoffs and it rises up to like a 108 then it suddenly it's gone from a 5 minus five, 5 points better than average in the regular season to 7 points better in the playoffs and it's mostly just because it's a defense that is able to drag even strong offenses down into the mud with it. That's kind of, so every team pretty much without fail, if you're going to be a champion, you perform better in the playoffs. Like, just like I said, the average net rating of a team in the regular season that wins a championship is about seven. It's actually like 7.2 in the playoffs that goes up to 11.2. So these teams, there's small sample sizes though. So you know, it's like an 82-game sample size versus a 20-23-game 20, sample size. So it's much smaller. You know, it's, it shouldn't be, it's not a total apples-to-apples to apples comparison, but it's a big jump. These championship teams do take big jumps when they get into the playoffs because they're great teams. Like, pretty much all these teams are great teams. With that being said, though, let's have a look at what the floor is for a championship team. So what I mean is, say, how many games can a championship team really win? Like, how few games can a championship team really win until they stop being a championship team? Well, generally speaking, like, this isn't perfect, but the floor is about 57 wins. Kind of a raw per 82, 57 win pace, which is about 70% win percentage. Uh, four teams have fallen below that mark the 2001 lakers were 56 2004 pistons were 54 the 2006 heat were 52 and of course the 1995 rockets were 47 well below like really you could say 50 wins is the absolute flaw apart from the houston rockets but 90 percent of the championship winning teams are at a 57 win pace or better So they win a lot of games, like 57 is the benchmark. Um, For plus minus, it's about plus four. If we round up, like the Miami Heat in 2006 were plus 3.9, but if we just allow them to, you know, we ignore that, only the 1995 Rockets were lower than plus four in the regular season. Um, Adjusted differential. And that's like the 2006 heater, like I said, plus 3.9, 2001 Lakers, plus 4.1, the 82 Lakers plus 4.2. And it goes up and up and up, obviously, then at the top, you've got, you know, the great Golden State Warriors teams, the Chicago Bulls teams, the Celtics, the Spurs, the Lakers, all that good stuff. But we're looking at how bad can a team be? Not bad, like objectively bad, but how not incredible can a team be? and still be a championship team um for regular season offense the floor is about plus one for a regular season offense and in all these cases nearly all these cases where the team is in this lower half they have an incredible defense you know the tim duncan spurs defense the bad boys pistons the um the 2008 Celtics, the you know the 2004 Detroit Pistons, that kind of level of defense, like only the 2004 Pistons and the 1994 Rockets, with obviously Hakeem, who may well be the best defender of all time. If you want to say Hakeem is the greatest defender ever, you're not going to get a huge argument from me. That is that plus the 2004 Pistons. They're the only um champions in the last 41 years to have a below average offense and if we do the same for defense again the floor is around minus 1 so 1 point better than league average is about the floor and similarly you know the teams around here are you know multiple showtime lakers teams they are the 2001 lakers in the 2001 lakers are actually the only um team In the last 41 years, to have a below average defense in the regular season and go on to win the title. Um, You know, the Golden State Warriors in 2018 had less than a minus one defense. Um, You know, the Cleveland Cavaliers were on the lower end, they were about minus 1.5. Like I said, multiple Showtime Lakers teams, in fact, most of them around this area but their offense is up in like you know plus five plus six plus seven kind of range so they are making up that difference like I say it's not offense wins championships or defense wins championships it's differential wins championships what's the combination of your offensive level and your defensive level the difference between those two that differential is generally that's what wins you a championship so that's kind of the floor like plus one offense, uh, minus one defense, which is really you know one point better than league average, one point below league average. I'm just going to keep saying minus for defense from now on, and, po- and plus for offense. You, you've picked it up by now, but that's generally what the floor is for offense and defense in the regular season to go on to win a championship. And in all those cases where you have that kind of that floor level offense or defense the other half of the ball is making up that difference. You know, you have a Tim Duncan, a Ben Wallace, bad boys, Pistons, go to work Pistons, um, 2008 Celtics kind of defense to cover up what is maybe a slightly above average offense, maybe slightly below average offense, and the same defensively where, you know, you have the Showtime Lakers, you have Shaq and Kobe, you have uh, the Golden State Warriors offense to make up for the fact that your defense is only slightly better than league average. So now let's take a look at the teams in question here. The, uh, the Lakers, the Nets, etc, etc. Let's see how they compare to these uh, championship teams and whether they can actually win a title this year, whether they're the route they will take to win a title is a well-trodden path or whether they are carving out an entirely new one in you know the bush you know having to get out their machetes cut through thick undergrowth to try to find some route to a ring this is a real extended metaphor at this point i hope some of you are appreciating it let's start out we're going to go from the um the kind of the worst regular season team to the best So we're going to start with the Lakers. They are a, per like 82 games, they're on a 48-win pace, which is well below, you know, that's right above the 95 Rockets. So there is a precedent for a team that bad going on to win the title in the kind of regular season data, but it's a once in 40-year event. Um, If we look at that differential, Again, plus 2.8, it's kind of similar. They're kind of sitting right above that 1995 Rockets team, which was a sixth seed and was the lowest seed team to ever win a title. And then if we look at um, their offense and defense, that's when it gets a bit clearer because their offense, were they to win a title, their offense would be the worst in maybe not league history, but definitely the last 40 years to win a title they're well below like the bad boys pistons well below um the the 2004 pistons and their offense would be up there their offense not their offense their defense would be up there their defense is maybe enough to balance that out like they would have i think they would own they'd be in the top 10 um defenses for a championship team in the last 40 years were they to win the route is very small like it's i don't know about you but i've tried to think about you know prior examples i can't think of another scenario where you've had these two big injuries to key players um totally derailed their regular season and then they've come back and win a title won a title I can't remember that happening. They really need their offense to look a lot better. Um, LeBron and AD can do that, but whether they do that now, we'll see. Um, If both LeBron and AD can play healthy this playoffs, they might just create an entirely new avenue to win a championship in the modern era. But at the same time, I think there may well be a reason why this hasn't happened before why a team with these big injury concerns has not gone on to want to win a title that there's probably something to that. Um, let's move up now to the next team. That's the Brooklyn nets. They are on about a 55 win pace in the regular season, which puts them still in the bottom five ish, but just a cusp below, just, just a cut below, um, that fifty-seven win mark. They're about a four point three plus minus, which again takes them just above this case, just above that kind of plus four cutoff for most teams, apart from the ninety five Rockets. Which gonna be kind of ignoring them now, because now we've moved past the Lakers. There's no more use. The ninety five Rockets are just the aberration of champions in the modern era. There's really nothing like them. Like they're so far removed from any other championship team in the modern era in terms of their regular season, their plus minus, you know, the expectations on them, it just doesn't exist. So we're just going to kind of ignore them from now on. Now that we've talked about the Lakers who are in the same kind of category of them as them in the regular season, we're going to just ignore that. But um, for Brooklyn, their route is actually kind of similar to the 2001 Lakers in that their offense in the regular season is slightly better than 2001 Lakers, and their defense is just as bad. Now, 2001 Lakers are the worst defensive team that have gone on to win a title, but when they got into the playoffs, they are... Maybe they have the greatest playoff run ever. Like, in terms of plus-minus, it is the greatest playoff run ever. Um, Their playoff offense of the champions in the last 40 years is the best their playoff defense is top 10 so they not they don't just turn it on in the playoffs they go like elite defensive level that lakers team is stuck right between the duncan Spurs and the second three-peak bulls in terms of playoff defense so the brooklyn team has mighty big shoes to fill if it wants to compare to that but there is a slight precedent there. And when we look at talent-wise, I mean, you know, it's not Shaq and Kobe, but Durant, Harden, and Kyrie are superstar, all-time superstar talents. Uh, the issue for me, though, which you can probably guess pretty quickly, is that unlike that 2001 Lakers team who were defending champions, this Brooklyn team is in year one together. And that 2001 lakers team you know they had the ring they had a few years under their belt as a team where they could kind of mold a squad around shaq and kobe you know kobe is continuing to develop especially i think in the 2001 season he starts to take on this huge offensive load shaq is not prime prime shaq 2000 but he's as close as you're gonna get and so they have this kind of this equity that when they get to the playoffs, they know they can just turn it on. This Brooklyn team doesn't have that. They don't have the time together. Um, However, it all for me hinges on Durant's health. If Durant can stay healthy, I feel pretty good about them. If he can't stay healthy, I don't see this team making out of the conference semifinals. But with a healthy Durant, this team could easily um, be the best team in the league. They could easily go on to win the title pretty in a pretty straightforward manner kind of similar to the Lakers last year where you just getting them into the playoff series and you think oh they might actually have the two best players in this series and then you add Kyrie you know apart from Giannis in Milwaukee and Embiid in Philly they might have you know the fourth best player in the series as well so this Brooklyn team definitely has the capacity. I think, like I say, they would be on the low end, data wise, of championship teams, but talent wise, they have all the indicators to become a championship level team. I'm they might be they might be one of my favorites, actually. We'll move on. Next up, we have the Denver Nuggets, the Nikola Jokic with the MVP. I think it's fair to say that at this point they have the MVP that team would be about a 54 win team over 82 games with the pace they have now which again bottom five for teams in the last 40 years not great however their plus minus is a bit better it's about plus five so they would be out of the bottom five in terms of plus minus in the regular season still bottom 10 but they would their kind of creeping up now into the body of champions and at least unlike the Brooklyn Nets they do have a positive defense their defense is just like just above average it would still be you know bottom in the NBA history-wise the last 40 years defensively just not you know the LA Lakers Brooklyn Nets kind of level defense bad defensively and again Like, their offense is what really carries them here. Their offense um, would sit in the kind of the top 15 of champions, a real, real high-level offense. To um, give them kind of a roadmap similar to the Brooklyn Nets, I actually think Nuggets' roadmap is, it's basically showtime, you know? Can you build with like a maybe marginal defense, very very slightly positive defense maybe below average defense can you build this incredible offensive juggernaut around your transcendent playmaker talent huge you know playmaker in Jokic magic it's you know can you build that shooting that defense that transition speed around Jokic with guys like Aaron Gordon uh, Michael Porter Jr if Will Barton can come back um MPJ especially, I think, can create devastating offense. I had him top five scorers in the league on my last podcast for the regular season. And then it ultimately, can Jokic hold up on defense with the strong defensive parts like Gordon and then create this kind of unstoppable offense on the other end? Without Jamal Murray, I'm not sure their offense can be as transcendentally good as it needs to be to make the Nuggets work against the elite teams like in Brooklyn I believe their offense can be that transcendently good I don't know if the Nuggets can without Murray in the team because Jokic is absolutely on that level MPJ is a scorer is dynamite apart from that they don't have a huge amount of you know star offensive power however I am totally ready to be surprised by Nikola Jokic who is I think quietly putting in the early stages of building the resume of an all-time playoff performer like his first playoff run a couple of years ago super underrated when Kawhi won the championship until Jokic was knocked out I actually think Jokic was the best player in that playoffs and then obviously he gets knocked out Kawhi has an incredible run in the conference semifinals, the conference finals, plays well in the finals, is very clearly the best player in that playoffs. But Jokic was a bit underrated I think in that run and again last year he has a great run uh, to the conference finals. This year in the first couple of games he's played incredibly. So yeah, I I I'm ready to be surprised by Jokic. I just don't think Denver has the firepower to really follow that roadmap through, that Showtime roadmap. But we'll see. We'll see because Jokic, he may well become one of the great offensive players in NBA history. We may be seeing him do that right now. If that happens, this Denver team could maybe win a title. Maybe. They wouldn't be my pick though. Uh, Next up, the Philadelphia 76ers. Now we're talking about a fifty-six win team. So I don't. None of these teams are actually going to climb into the real high, high levels of wins. But that's like I say, it's a COVID year. It's not really going to happen. You know, teams are too many protocols. Teams giving up too many games. It's just not going to happen. This Philly team, fifty-six wins, right on that cusp. Um, a plus five point three. So they would be in the Would they crack the top out of the bottom 10? They wouldn't crack out of the bottom 10, unfortunately. I just had to arrange a spreadsheet so that I could see who the bottom 10 teams were. They would not crack out of that bottom 10. They would come about 32nd out of 41. Sad. Sad for them. However, they're the first team that has a level of offense and defense on both ends um their offense is slightly below plus 1 so they're maybe just just below that mendoza kind of line of great offense defense teams or kind of the minimum you, they can get from one side or the other if they have an elite offense or defense they're maybe right below that line that generally accepted line however they do have a great defense their defense would be in the top 15 of champions, and for Philly, it all comes down to Joel Embiid. Um, a healthy Joel with this roster of Tobias um, gunning away, Ben Simmons being maybe the best perimeter defender in the league. Seth Curry on fire, shooting forty five percent from three. Danny Green playing well. Thybul, you know, being his ultimate destroyer at, at the perimeter. They're a legit contender. Joel Embiid is a defensive monster. Um, metrics suggest that he is very difficult to scheme against defensively, unlike maybe some other big drop coverage players like um, Brooke Lopez, Miles Turner, Rudy Gobert. Data suggests Embiid is harder to scheme against. He loses less in the playoffs, though he might still lose something. And it may well be that, or it, at least... I think it's fair to say the teams that Embiid has played have found it far more difficult to seem, scheme against him than teams have found it to scheme against Brook Lopez, um, Rudy Gobert, Mars Turner, those type of guys on the defensive end. That doesn't mean it's impossible. That just means it hasn't happened to the same extent. And if that hasn't happened to the same extent, maybe over a long enough sample size, we can start to say, right, Joel Embiid's defense does really carry over to the playoffs. It's high-level defense and he's going to put up 30 points on anyone. Like we'll see how it works because the strategy for, you know, last year in the playoffs with the Boston Celtics, it was basically let Joel Embiid get 30 and 10 and don't let anyone else beat you. So Joel Embiid puts up this incredibly efficient, incredibly high-level scoring series and the Philadelphia 76ers get swept. I don't think the 76ers, that's going to happen again. I think Tobias Harris now is too good um, with scorers like Seth Curry um, spacing with Danny Green. I don't see that happening again. However, you are relying on the health of Joel Embiid, which may well be a bridge too far. We'll see. But this team is definitely a contender in the East. Are they even... Actually are they even a top two team in the east who knows this is the east is like the three juggernauts in the east are wild they're really wild speaking of that <clears throat> let's move on to maybe the best team in the east maybe we'll see uh the Milwaukee bucks now they're only on a fifty two win pace you know well below the threshold as well they would be tied with the two thousand six Miami heat as the second worst Um, regular season record of any champion in the last 40 years. However, their plus minus is about plus 5.5. So now we're starting to climb out. Like now this team is like 31st. They are just out of the bottom 10 teams by plus regular season, plus minus the champions just out of that. And it's kind of the inverse of um, the Philadelphia 76ers where they are, just below that Mendoza line on offense, but they do have an elite defense. The Milwaukee Bucks have an elite offense, you know, a top 15 offense of these champions, but their defense is um, slightly below minus one. A difference for me, though, is that we have seen the Milwaukee Bucks be an elite defense in the last year, the last couple of years. They obviously have... The former defensive player of the year, Giannis, who is now in a switching scheme. Finally, we'll see how that works out. But Giannis looks pretty good in it. They obviously have some high-level defenders like Drew Holiday, uh, Dante DiVincenzo for his, you know, fifth starter kind of role is a really nice, well-rounded player. I really like him. So I'm less worried about them defensively than I are than someone like Philly, offensively where I think their offense is only slightly above average and because of how much it relies on Joel Embiid, even with Harris and Seth Curry, I could see the Philadelphia offense get dragged into the mud. I'm not sure I'd see this Milwaukee Bucks defense doing that. I kind of I have more trust in it than I do the Philly offense. And the Milwaukee offense has been really impressive this year. So they're certainly one of the, the teams that I'm looking forward to. Like, one of the weird things for me about this team is that I don't really have questions with them. The questions are more based on kind of prior knowledge. You know, we just need to get them into the playoff series, an elite playoff series against Brooklyn or Philly, and see what happens. Like, we all know they're a monster team, even in this down year. They were still the fourth best team in the league by plus minus. Um, they're still playing like a kind of average title team, even when they are having this, you know, transition year, trying out new systems. That's how good they are. Giannis ball is still the key to their success. Like all their best lineups are still built around Giannis, but replacing Bledsoe with Drew and building this more intelligent defensive scheme and a hopefully better rotation patterns you add all that together, you add Giannis, hopefully playing a bit more intelligently this year, you replace Eric Bledsoe with Drew Holiday, you replace these weird 30 minute rotations for, you know, finally play play Giannis 38 minutes, come on, play him 40 minutes, play Middleton 40 minutes in a playoff game, it's not going to kill you to play your best players a lot of minutes in do or die games. And then adding to that a more playoff-appropriate defensive system, you add all of that together with the talent Milwaukee has, there might not be a reason to not have them as title favourites apart from, but look what happened to them last year. But look what happened to them the last couple of years. You know, Giannis can't shoot free throws, blah, blah, blah. Those are all fair criticisms, especially the eye shooting free throws thing, I mean. You know that already came up in the playoffs, but for the other ones, I'm not sure how reliable that is for this season. Given what I said about all the changes they've had, the Bucks might be my championship choice. We'll we'll get to that at the end, but they might be. Um Next up, the Phoenix Suns. Now we finally climb above it. They are on a 58 win pace, so let's go. The Phoenix Suns climb above that 57 win kind of mendoza line um and now we're starting to get to teams who cross that line both offensively and defensively in the regular season they have an elite offense you know top 15 if they won offenses among champions their defense is exactly minus one so they cross that line just just with an elite um offense so they're kind of a classic elite offensive team who has just enough defensively to maintain it in the playoffs, this Suns team. um, So, like, for me, initially, I thought this Suns team would be a bit weak in this kind of this whole championship indicators question, basically because I question CP3's ability at this age to ramp up against high level defenses in the playoffs. I'm not sure he has enough left in the tank. Like at his best, CP3 is one of the four or five best point guards in NBA history for me. Like at his best he might be a top twenty player in NBA history. Now he's playing like then he was playing like a MVP. Now for me he's playing like an all star. And that's incredible you know, at his age, at his position, it's incredible. I think he gets a bit overstated Wahey, on this team because the Suns team, they're very talented at the top and they are very deep. I think they might be legit, like Booker, Mikhail Bridges, DeAndre Ayton, they're all legitimate, legitimate players. Whether they all become all-star level players below all-star level players, whether two of them become all-stars or just one of them, Booker already is an all-star, but I'm talking more kind of the bracket of player perennially. They're all legitimate players. I wonder, I don't know if I'd have them all top 50 players this year. Booker definitely, Bridges definitely, Aiton is maybe a question, but he absolutely can be next year if he's not this year um so the cp3 mvp thing is kind of ridiculous to me honestly the um the coach of the year whole thing like the monty williams coach of the year to me i think we're putting more on monty than we should be and what i mean it's not that he's not a good coach what it is is that you've added cp3 and you have these three really high level young players who have all taken steps forward you add all that together and bear in mind, the Suns team last year was not a bad team. They went 8-0 and in the bubble. They had a good... They were the first time, I think, in five years the Suns had a positive plus-minus to finish a season. The Suns were on the upward trajectory. Then they added an all-star point guard. Their three players, all at these different positions as well. That's something which is, for me, very important. They have these four high-level players and they all play very distinct positions in Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Mikel Bridges, and DeAndre Ayton. And I've, I've focused on them as well. Let's, let's add in Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, these guys, you know, Tory Craig, uh, Dario Saric. He's cooled off a bit, but he was playing at a very good level for quite a while. Like, they have a deep team outside of these top, maybe not superstar talents, but high-level talents. They have a very deep and a very strong upper crust to their team. So adding all that together, I feel like this team should have taken a very similar jump to the jump it took. So I don't really... And, and that's actually an interesting, for me, a historical point about the Coach of the Year Award. We generally give the Coach of the Year to um, the team we expected the least from. But in hindsight, it makes total sense that they became a lot better. Like this team, like um, the Memphis Grizzlies last year, there was some coach of the year buzz for the Memphis Grizzlies, for Taylor Jenkins. And it's like, yes, he's, he's done well. Ja Morant is a superstar in the making as a rookie. And, you know, they took that jump. You know, Jonas played well. Brandon Clark was very good as a rookie. You add all that together and this team, it really, um, it's going to be better. This Phoenix Suns team is going to be be better. Like I, I feel like what we're doing is we are trying to take what is a very complex issue of the health of the team. You no, know, no major injuries, no major COVID issues. Young players getting better, adding an all star point guard. Um, bench rotations really working well. You know, Jay Crowder playing well, Dara Saric playing really well for a long time. And we take all these, these complicated positives that all add up to the Phoenix Suns being really good. And we say, Oh yeah, Chris Paul is an MVP candidate. Oh yeah. Monty Williams coach of the year. We simplify what is a very complex issue into a one man show. And this happens a lot. This happens a lot in everything. I think this is the case this year. Um, Back to their actual chances, the, the chances for this Phoenix Suns team. They might be too young. Uh, they might underperform in the playoffs. That's my question. Like Booker, Bridges, Aiton. No matter what happens, we're going to have small playoff sample sizes for those guys. It's you know unclear. It's not a science. Who becomes better in the playoffs? Who becomes worse? There's so many variables to it that you can't just say this XYZ is going to happen. We don't know. We'll see. Again, like Chris Paul, I question his playoff ability at his age. He may shut me up. That would be great. Good on you, Chris Paul, if you do that. All else being equal, I think this team is a legitimate contender. In a vacuum, I think this is definitely a legitimate contender. It's just those issues. It's Chris Paul's age and it's the relative playoff inexperience of the other top players is what gives me pause with this Phoenix Suns team. Because all the indicators are there that they are a championship level team that if they won the championship, they would not look out of place amongst the other champions in terms of the data for their team next up, second to last l a clippers um they would be a fifty four win team, so below that line, but like I said, it doesn't really matter at this point. you know one of these teams whoever we wins apart from like the suns or the jazz, they're gonna be on the bottom end of the win-loss records for a champion. That's just nature of the beast. Like we said at the top of the episode, they are, however, plus 6.2, this Clippers team. So they would be right up there in terms of not like right up there, but they'd be like 25th, 26th out of the last 40. They'd be right in the pack. They wouldn't look out of place at all. Um, Very similar as well to the Phoenix Suns. Their offense would be like a top 15, top 12 offense among the champions. Their defense is minus one. So they would be right on that Mendoza line of kind of how good or bad the other side of the ball can be when you're elite on one end and they are elite offensively. Um, So it's actually really similar in terms of the data to the Phoenix Suns, even though these teams are built so differently. Um, For me, the Clippers, it's the questions are, can they ramp it up in the playoffs defensively? Um, Is their offense cohesive enough in the playoffs to really work? That's something that I think showed up straight away as soon as we got to the playoffs that as a question mark, I think that showed up because apart from that, everything should be in place for this Clippers team. They have a championship number one in Kawhi. They have a championship number two in Paul George. They have guys like Serge Ibaka, Zubach, Um, Rondo, um, Nicholas Batum, Pat Beverly. They have all these championship role players, all these guys who, you know, shifting them in and out of the rotation. It gives them different looks against different teams. It gives them good perimeter defense, Good interior defense they should be really good we'll see how they actually do because again there's all this you know what happened last season is that going to repeat itself paul george's history in the playoffs their defense should become good i have i just don't understand how their defense cannot become good in this um playoff situation their offense should be historically good which again it's like I keep saying they should be. You know, their defence should become a lot better. They have two of the great wing defenders of the twenty first century. Mm. They have Sergio Blocker, for fuck's sake. They have Pat Beverly, a um all defensive player. They have Nicholas Patoum, who's a Swiss Army knife, they have Rondo, who's an all defensive player in his prime. They have a lot of these guys and their defence just wasn't good in the regular season. And but I'm like it should be good in the playoffs. This should be a very strong playoff defense. And offensively, Kawhi can get whatever he wants in a playoff series. They don't have a huge amount of playmaking outside of Rondo, which may be an issue, but Kawhi has improved. PG can create both of them are more secondary playmakers, but both of them can do it. You know, it's more like, why can't this team be a contender? What's the issue here? For the Clippers, they have Ty Lue, who's an incredibly good playoff coach. I think. I think he's he's a, a good playoff coach in the in the sense that, regardless of what you want to say about particulars, whether you know he's the brilliant offensive mind of Mike D'Antoni, the brilliant defensive mind of Tom Thibodeau. Ty Lue is willing to make adjustments, and he generally seems to see those adjustments. He sees those rotations and how he can adjust those rotations to get the results he wants, that is a skill in and of itself. That is maybe the most valuable playoff skill. So I don't understand how this Clippers team can't be a championship contender, can't be the favourite this year. Maybe they should be. Maybe I'm just... I'm asking a lot of questions that they will answer, and I think they can answer. I'm just kind of confused about why... I have these reservations, and why they don't seem to always be living up to that expectation. The Clippers, an enigma wrapped in a mystery box. Last but not least, the Juggernaut regular season team, the Utah Jazz, they were, on a regular season pace, 59 wins. That puts them right into that 60 win, actually 61 win to be exact, level for a regular season um, 82 game pace and their plus minus their plus minus 9.1 that would put them in the top 10 champions of the last 40 years that is you know the um, the elite San Antonio Spurs the Golden State Warriors the Chicago Bulls that type of level above the 86 Celtics for fuck's sake like this regular season jazz performance has been an all-timer top 20 uh, regular seasons of all time by plus minus and they are the only team which breaks remember i said about three and a half regular season offense or defense is you know middle of the pack for a champion the jazz are the only team to break both of those barriers they're about plus 5 offensively and about plus minus i mean minus 4 defensively so they would be like top 15 offense um for champions and they would be like a top 20 defense for champions so top half on both sides of the ball like this jazz team by all indicators is a juggernaut a championship juggernaut they should be the favorite far and away the favorite maybe even the favorite against the field that's how much better they are in their regular season data than any other team this year so why aren't they i think the issue for me is that gobert you look at their lineup data gobert is so key to everything successful about the jazz and there is fair reason to believe that gobert can have his value lowered in the playoffs that's a very specific wording I chose that he can have his value lowered I think offensively um, I think that's actually where Rudy Gobert mostly gets played off the floor in the playoffs is that the Utah Jazz just don't generally score enough with him on the floor that's generally what gets him off defensively he is still a huge plus in the playoffs. Maybe he just, you know, maybe he goes from being like a plus three defender to being a plus two defender, which is a huge difference. Like if I'm saying, you know, most of these teams that I've talked about are between plus five and plus six, the Utah Jazz are plus nine. Let's say because of Rudy Gobert, they are, they lose a point of their offense. They're now plus eight. Maybe they lose a point of their defense. They're now plus seven. Now they're in a dogfight against these plus six and plus five teams. Now it's a real series against them. Now the Utah Jazz have lost their edge. You add to that maybe um, Jordan Clarkson. Sixth man of the year, Jordan Clarkson suddenly, unsurprisingly, goes cold from three, is a huge defensive liability. Now, suddenly... The Utah Jazz don't have bench scoring with their, you know, their main scorers off the floor. They get blown out of the water. They or they're not blown out of the water defensively, they they can't keep up their scoring with the other team. They need to, you know, play Mitchell 42 minutes a night. They need to play Mike Conley 37 minutes a night. That kind of thing. The Utah Jazz, I just see routes where on both sides of the ball, they can get that plus five kind of difference they have slightly ticked down you know offensively suddenly jordan clarkson isn't hitting threes that's a tick off your offense you know rudy gobert um doesn't have the same impact on offense in the playoffs that he does in the regular season that's a tick down he doesn't have the same defensive impact he does in the regular season that's a tick down and then suddenly that utah jazz team that is a juggernaut in the regular season looks like any other contender but without that elite kind of wing player because like that elite creator that elite wing player like if we look at if I just go through the other teams you know the Lakers LeBron Brooklyn Durant Harden Denver Jokic Philly with Embiid um, Milwaukee with Giannis Phoenix with Chris Paul the Clippers with Kawhi PG those are all that's either an elite two-way superstar wing, you know, who is can do everything like Kawhi Leonard has secondary playmaking, top-flight scoring, elite defense. You know, same with like Giannis, elite scoring, elite defense, um, freak athlete. Or we're talking this high-level set the table, create offense at the drop of a hat player like. Um, Chris Paul, like Nikola Jokic, like there's the Utah Jazz don't really have that. Like I don't think Donovan Mitchell is that yet, or if he may ever become that, maybe he will. Maybe I'm just too low on him. He's not that yet. Mike Conley is not that. Rudy Gobert is obviously not that, you know, he's not someone like Joel Embiid, who will drop 30 on anyone. He's not Nikola Jokic who will drop 30 with 10 assists on anyone, that type of level of player. The Utah Jazz don't have that. So suddenly if this, you know, this 2014 Spurs-esque kind of style that they want to have where next man up, you know, we have five, six, seven high-level players on our team, if that starts to fall apart, They don't have that elite talent, that elite ISO scorer, that elite creator who can just be like, right, I'm carrying this team, this game, this series. So they're a juggernaut in the regular season. I'm worried it's just going to be a regular season juggernaut. Maybe they'll shut me up though. We'll see. So just to go through, you know questions what does this raise for us in terms of questions well for the LA Lakers I think what is the health of their superstars what can they do in terms of team chemistry and if tick tick does that mean the Lakers can create a new route to a championship in 2021 Uh, for the Brooklyn Nets it is chemistry without prior games and can they keep their defense above water in the playoffs, if they can do both those teams, if they can have chemistry, you know, offensively, and have a defense slightly above water, then this Nets team might just be the favorites. Um, for Denver, can their offense hit the level it needs to reach for them to win a championship? Can it hit that Showtime Lakers level of offense? Uh, for Philly, it is mb's health? Can the supporting stars? keep their offense above water when Embiid sits or if Embiid doesn't have it that night can Tobias Harris score 30 in a game where you know maybe Embiid is scoring a inefficient 22 points just doesn't quite have it or he you know he needs a rest that type of thing those are my big questions for Philly um with the Bucks can Giannis get over his playoff issues And will their new defensive scheme stick? Those are my questions. And my question more for me is, am I letting prior knowledge of the Bucks influence them this season? That's, you know, self-reflection towards the end of this podcast. It's always good. Uh, For the Phoenix Suns, can CP3 prove me wrong by showing that he can scale in the playoffs at his age Will the young players perform at the level? Like if Devin Booker, Mikel Bridges, and DeAndre Ayton are Mikhail, uh, Devin Booker, Mikel Bridges, and DeAndre Ayton, but in the playoffs, this Suns team might just be good enough. Even if CP3 scales down a bit in the playoffs, they may just be good enough. Um, for the Clippers, will their defence ramp up? Will their offence be cohesive? will they get top performances out of Kawhi and PG in the same game? If they can't do all three of those things, if they can't ramp up defensively, play a cohesive offense and have their superstars play like superstars, we may well be looking at another disaster. And for the Utah Jazz, can Gobert reach another level in the playoffs? Can he not just um, maintain his regular season season, impact can he maybe go beyond that can he not lose any defensive value can he maybe gain some offensive value if he can do that and the utah jazz don't lose those points on the margins like i was talking about are they the favorites overall i don't know who my favorites are honestly i think my two favorite teams in this whole playoff run maybe milwaukee and brooklyn maybe milwaukee and brooklyn it's so tough i might just go brooklyn i might i think they're so talented that i might just have to but i switch honestly i think earlier today i was like yeah i'm gonna say milwaukee milwaukee are my choice for the championship then i think a little while ago i was like yeah the clippers the clippers are my choice for the championship oh but what about the 76ers oh but what if the lakers are healthy oh am i underrating the suns um Is Jokic just going to shut me up as the MVP? I've been going on about him as the best player in the league all year. Why am I betting against the best player in the league when he has you know guys like MPJ and Aaron Gordon running with him? Well, he doesn't have Jamal Murray, etc., etc. You know, am I overlooking the Utah Jazz just because they're a bit boring? And we kind of overlook boring teams which get the job done, like the Utah Jazz easily could. There's a lot. There's a lot. I'm going to stake it now throw it out there. My championship pick, the Milwaukee Bucks. There you go. You're welcome, Steve. The Milwaukee Bucks, my championship pick. It's all up in the air. Embrace the chaos, baby. Bucks in six. Thank you for listening. Let's get it. Peace.